let's review some of what we've been talking about as we've been uh, building through this series and this story. We've still got this message and one more to go uh, to wind down our time with Saul and David. But as a review, the big question that I asked you to be thinking of each time that I would bring you the message, there was a question I wanted you to ask yourself. The question is this, who sits on the throne? We started this series not by looking at the beginning of the story of Saul and David, but in the book of Revelation where there's a cosmic throne and glory that's encircled by these angels who are covered in wings and they're, they're circling around the throne and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the incredible thing about this story is that that same God of the universe who has this throne in glory for some reason, desires to stoop so low as to take up residence in the throne room of our hearts and make that his home as well. Something or someone will sit on the throne and reign and rule your life. There are things that can reign and rule us. And you open the door to whoever it is. And don't you love that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Have you opened the door of the throne room to the King of Kings, to the King of Glory? We looked at the story of Saul and his anointing as king where he was facing problems, but God was setting it up as providence in his life. God was putting all the things in places. And so we recognize that our spirit needs the eyes to see what God is doing. And there are times when we cannot recognize the things that God is putting into place without praying these prayers that say, God, give me eyes to see. Help me to understand what you're putting together. Don't let it all go over my head. We looked at Saul as he degraded into envy. As David, this young whippersnapper, started to rise up among the people, Saul became envious of David. And that heart of envy drove him to some terrible, to some terrible places. We looked at David's patience to wait on God's timing for God's thing. David had been anointed as a young boy, 12, 13 years old, as the king, the next king. And multiple opportunities he had to take his dagger in hand or a spear in hand and put an end to Saul. But he had the wisdom of the Spirit of God on him to wait for God's timing. And you remember he said, I dare not touch the Lord's anointed. We looked at David's heart as he desired to do the right things, he wanted to bring the presence of God via the Ark of the Covenant back to the holy city of Jerusalem where God could be with the people again. He wanted that to happen and he knew it needed to happen, but he didn't go about it the right way. He took some shortcuts and God reminded him through some series of events in the process that he needed to do things, not just do the right thing, but do the right thing the right way. And God was developing inside of David a whole and complete heart. We would call that holiness. To live a life that doesn't just seek as a, any means to the end, but seeks to have the means also be whole towards the end. Then we looked at the story of Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, that David invited to the king's table. And we asked the question, who should be your enemy, but deserves a place at the king's table? Everything culturally said that Mephibosheth should be David's enemy, that David should wipe out the lineage of Saul. But he didn't do that. Instead, he invites a place at the table for Mephibosheth. And I love that story. Then we got through the most difficult one last week, the toughest of all, the story of the drift in David's life. When he started to let some things go that led to letting some more things go that led to letting some more things go until he winded up in a place where he had committed adultery, where he had committed murder, where he had lied multiple times and he got caught. All because he let some things go. Well, the redeeming thing in this story is that David in his response to his sin was a righteous response. He took ownership of it. He didn't lay excuses down saying it was somebody else's fault, blame shifting or whatever else. Instead, he said, yes, it was me. 
Well, today as we wind down this series, as we've got just a little bit further to go, I want to take the lens on David's life, and I want to zoom out of the Bible a little bit to get more of an overview look at the story of David's life. Because what we see in David's life are there these distinct chapters or seasons that he goes through. And I think there's a lesson for all of us in these different seasons of life that we're in. I think that there are some things, some commonalities that can happen in seasons of life. If you've got your bulletin, some of you have already figured this out. This is the first fill in the blank here in the bulletins. We're talking about the seasons of David's life. The major themes as he journeyed through it. And these things apply to us too. We are, David was human just as we are human. There are things in our life that we walk the same uh, roads. We, we experience the same things. And I'm going to be breaking this down into age categories. And what I don't want to do is put you in a box. Because some people, the lines get a little blurry. Some people are very young at heart. And some people are aged beyond their years. <laughs> and so these, this isn't a one-size-fits-all thing. But just some general categories that I see David fitting into that I think we as humans all fit into in some way or, the, or another. So the first season of life that I want to talk about for David is his 25 and under period. If you are 25 or under here in church today, would you raise your hand? This includes our kids. Just keep it up. Raise it up high where everybody can see. 25 or under. Look around the room. These are our people who are 25 and under. We have a great representation of 25 and unders today. Aren't you thankful for that? If you look at the season of your life when you're young, you know that one year, what's a year to you? You've got all the time in the world. You can do anything. If you're 70 years old, 80 years old, one year is a very serious amount of time, one year. But when you're in your teens, one year is a, what's the big deal about one year? Those of you that are young, a year is not a big deal. You have energy, you have enthusiasm, you have a, a, a passion for life. You believe that you can change the world, and you can make an impact, and you can do something amazing. But here's the downside for you who are 25 and under. You have no experience. You have no experience. You may have all the zeal in the world, but you don't have any experience to back it up. And so you see this happen when you're a young person. It's hard to get into an established job. You don't have a resume to bring to the table. You don't have something to bring with you to say, look at this. You, you may have all the, the hustle in the world, but you have no credibility, no money, no networks. And these challenges face you in life. And in David's life, he faced challenges as a young person too. But here's some things that we see. For those of you who are 25 and under, this is a season of character for you. This is the season of life where you may not have much influence over other people. You may not have many networks with other people. You may not have a resume to point to. But this is the formative time when you are going to lay a foundation of character that's going to set the course for the remainder of your life. The most important thing as a young person that you can do if you are 25 or under here today is to recognize what are the values that you are going to lay down as a foundation for the rest of your life. If you don't start laying down some deep things that are valuable to you, the rest of your life is going to be a season where stuff is going to erode. Because I promise you, you think life is tough as a young person. I remember thinking my life was so tough as a young person. Adulting is hard. Can I get an amen from the adults? Right? Adulting is hard. And if you don't lay down a foundation that will see you, a foundation of character that will see you through some difficult times, then your life will erode away and amount to not much of anything. A deep foundation has to be poured in this season. And as a young man, anointed as king, David didn't go out on a shopping spree. He didn't buy a bunch of royal robes. He didn't get fitted for his crown. He didn't try to take the throne. He went back to doing what he needed to do, being a shepherd of his father's flocks. 
Spending time with God. Praying. Writing things that would end up being psalms. Experiencing solitude. Building his character. In Psalm 23, we see a psalm that was written by a young person. What kind of young person could write this kind of song? The Lord is my shepherd. What's David saying here? This is a personal relationship I have with God. This is the defining characteristic of my life. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a shepherd to sheep, but God is my shepherd. I want my walk with him to be personal and intimate. He says, I lack nothing. God is the one who will provide for me. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. God provides, he protects, and everything that I need, I get from him. He restores my soul, David wrote. God builds me and makes me and forms me. He leads me along right paths, paths of righteousness. Every time you come to a fork in the road, you have a decision to make as a young person. Which way will you go? Will you follow the Lord's leading? And even when we walk through dark valleys, through the shadow of death, you are with me. God is with us in the most challenging parts of our life. And David faced challenges where I'm sure he asked from time to time, where is God in this? And we may face challenges where we would say, where is God in this? Do we believe? Do we have the character to believe that even though our spirit may not sense the presence of God, that that does not limit him being with us and walking beside us? David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No young person, myself included, appreciated discipline as a young person. Nobody appreciated, uh, appreciates correction as a young person. It's difficult to be corrected, to be set in the right place, in the right way of walking and thinking. I did not like being disciplined. But I look back on it now and I bless my parents <laughs> and those who disciplined me. Because it was formative and it set me in these correct paths of walking. Your rod and your staff, they are comfort to me. They're also protection. They speak of protection. You prepare a table. You honor and put me in a safe place. My cup overflows. God, you're generous. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to be where the presence of the Lord is. Do you see the formative character building things in this young person as he walks through his teens and 20s, he wants to be formed in character. And he accepts God's calling. He accepts God's calling. God has anointed him as king. God has blessed him. And God is going to take David to some amazing places in his life. And that's something that as a young person, you will experience. Every person experiences a call of God on their life. It is the nature of being a follower of the Lord. It may not be a call to pastoral ministry or to preach from up front, but you have a calling. God will call you to something. Can you accept that? God is going to anoint you for something. Can you accept that? The other thing we see in David's life as a young person is that David took incredible risks. He faced down a giant with a slingshot. That's a pretty incredible risk. Can you imagine? I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine now in my 30s facing a giant with a slingshot, much less as a kid. But he lived an active faith that sometimes we as grown-ups lose sight of. Young people can live an active faith that sometimes we as adults lose sight of. It was real to David. David was able to go out in front of a giant knowing that it was not just David who went, that God was with him and God was going to provide. And all the adults in the room were terrified to even come close to putting this plan into action because they thought they would be wiped out. But David's faith was expressed in real action. And yes, it was risky. And one of the things that fascinates me is as I see you know, as I have moved out of this season in my life and as I see the next generation of young people to see when they answer the call of God and take some risky 
things that I'm like, oh my word, this is terrifying to me. I have an um, acquaintance uh, who this summer she'll be traveling to um, Azerbaijan to a predominantly Muslim country with global partners to, to do like a few months of work and training out there. And it's incredible. And her parents and family are just cheering her on. And I mean, it's, it's serious stuff. But God bless her for being willing to, to do this and accept the call that God has given to her. In this season of life as a young person, we can learn from David and we can build a strong spiritual foundation to walk with God, to spend time with God, to develop character and values that align with God. They'll serve you well for the rest of your life. And to live a courageous faith, embracing God's call on your life. So here's what we're going to do. If you, you've raised your hand, now if you are 25 or under, I want you to stand. And I want to pray a blessing over you before we move to our next group. Would you stand, please? Nothing to be ashamed of. You stand up. We want to bless you. And I would like for those of us who are seated, I guess I'm kind of, I'll just squat here for a second. I'd like for those of us to be, who are seated to just extend our hands out towards these young people, okay? Whoever's closest to you. And let's just treat this as a blessing upon their lives. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these young people. God, they are in a season of life where there's a lot going on. And yes, there are some major stresses and some major challenges that they face. But God, this is the season when we have to be intentional about laying down a foundation that will serve you and serve us for the remainder of our lives. God, I pray for wisdom beyond their years. God, I pray that they would be faithful to the things that you have laid out for them. God, I pray that their hearts would yearn for a deep, committed relationship with you. God, I pray that they would find value in having those times with your presence and your spirit. I pray that they would be able to, to say, the Lord is my shepherd, just like David said. God, would you give clear leading and guidance to them? Would you call these young people to do some incredible things? God, would you call them to do some risky things? Would you call them to do it for your name? And God, I pray that these men and women who are standing here today, that they will be champions of the faith in the days to come. We bless them, and we love them, and it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. You all may be seated. I'm done with you. Moving on. <laughs> 25 to 50. This is the big one. 25 to 50. I get to count myself as a part of this group. Who's with me? 25 to 50 years old. Raise your hands. All right, look around the room. These are our 25 to 50s. Hi, guys. You're my people. I love you. We still have energy. Praise the Lord. We're still willing to take some reasonable risks in our life. But by now in our lives, we have experienced some things that we could lose. Family. Finances. Passion. We know that things could change. But we've got experience. We've got a little bit of money now. We're starting to have opportunities that come our way and we're starting to build some sort of credibility with people around us. But again, it comes with some challenges. We're raising kids. We're committed in our jobs. Our schedules are always full and we feel dead tired all the time. I have asked somebody just last week, when is the last time you woke up and just felt really refreshed? <laughs> so I was like, I... That's been a long time for me, it seems like. Some of you don't think you'll ever not be tired again. And some of us may say, let's go to church just so we can have a nap. <laughs> we may be experiencing some financial handcuffs. We may have taken out a loan or a mortgage for a car or a house. We may have jumped from job to job and we're beginning to realize that we may not get everything we want in life. And some of us may have the tendency to become desperate in this time. And some of us may have a tendency to start acting out because of that desperation. 
So what can we learn? For the 25 to 50-year-olds, as we look at David's life, this is a season of expansion for David. David trusted and obeyed God, and there were times when there was pain and sadness, and there was times when he was living in the desert, not in the palace. He's living under threat, but he continues to trust God, and he continues to follow the Lord in obedience. And in this season of life, David writes Psalm 34. I have it up on the screen, and I want us to read it together, okay? Let's just journey through this psalm together. Read with me. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you who his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. In this season of expansion in David's life, we see that he is centered in the goodness of God. He's centered in the goodness of God. And in this season of life, David is victorious in everything that he does. He's able to unite the people together. He brings the capital to Jerusalem. He expands the kingdom. Israel goes as far as it will ever go in this season of his life. It reaches its highest pinnacle. But... It was also in this season of life, in David's 40s, that he goes through a midlife crisis, that he begins to get comfortable. He had to hustle as a young person. And things are finally starting to come together. He's living in the comfortable palace now, not in the cave. And last week we touched on the story of it. Affair with Bathsheba, David is clearly flawed, and he gets wiped out in this season of his life spiritually. So what do we learn from this? People, what do we learn from this? When things are going well, when we are in a comfortable place, we have a tendency to let our guard down. And as young people, we may have had to hustle to get to wherever we dreamt of going or God led us to dream to go. But once you get there, there are some times when you can become comfortable and your guard can be let down. So I would urge you towards caution in the comfortable times. Those are the times when the enemy would love to attack and get our mind off of being centered in the Lord. Comfort is a danger. Not that it's not a blessing to be comfortable, not that we shouldn't be comfortable, but we need to be cautious when things are comfortable. The second thing that David, I think, learned in this season of life is he learned how to be truly repentant. Again, we touched on this last week, and this is, a, this is not something that comes naturally to us. It is something that you develop in your life. True repentance is difficult. Who here has ever had to apologize to their child because you were wrong? That's not easy to do. True repentance... To not just pass it off as, well, I'm the grown-up, and you know I get to make the decisions, and yeah, I was wrong, but there's one, you know, blah, 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 you know. Sitting, sitting down with your child and saying, Mom was wrong, and I'm sorry. It's tough. I remember it being modeled for me as a young person with my dad, a time when he truly repented to me and my brothers for something that he had said. I was crying as a little kid, and he was crying as a dad. It was tough, but it modeled it well for me. And we have to learn, when we've made mistakes, how do we truly repent? Then the third thing that I see for us in this season of life is that we need to stay faithful to those foundational things. We need to make it a matter of priority to stay faithful to serving the Lord. We, in this season of expansion, there are children that are involved, and we have this opportunity to lay down a legacy, to help them put down this foundation, 
that they have, but that takes faithfulness on our part to be truly committed to those things that ground us. If you're 25 to 50, would you stand? I want to pray for you, and I want you to pray for me. And everybody else who's not standing, would you extend your hand out towards these people as we pray for them? Lord, in this season, we pray that you would take us to some great places. God, I pray that in this season of expansion that you would use us and what we've learned so far and the the influence that we've gathered so far to make your kingdom great and make it known in our workplaces, in our homes, in our family lives, in our marriages and relationships. God, would you help us? God, I pray that you would guard our hearts against the temptation to become lazy in our comfort. God, I pray that that we would be cautious in those seasons when times are comfortable. There's an easy opportunity to let things slide. And Lord, I pray that you would guard us against that. God, I pray that you would be the center of affection and attention in our lives and our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to live lives of faithfulness to one another, to our families, but most of all to you. God, help us to live lives of purity and honesty and integrity. Help us to serve you and you alone. And God, give us victory in the things that we will face. Lord, for those of us who have children under our care, God, I pray that we would model the things that we learned and help aid and equip as they lay down foundations of their own. God, help us in this season. And Lord, it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated now. 50 to 65. Who are you? <laughs> Amen. Yay. Good for you all. 50 to 65. You should be excited. This is a great season of life. Why? Because you have some major positives going on right now. You, as 50 to 65-year-olds, have huge credibility. You have power. Do you know this? You can get things done. You've learned how to get things done. You know who to call. You know who to talk to. You may have gotten to a point where you've gotten the money thing figured out, maybe. I hope. (laughs) Maybe not. I hope so. And you've got leadership. You have learned to to influence others and bring a credibility down to others. You can boss other people around at work. You got networks. You know people. You might know local political leaders. You might know business owners. You may know some significant people. You've learned some life lessons. But you also have a weakness. There's no time. And what time there is, it's starting to run out. And energy may be just diminishing, and you may be experiencing wrinkles, and you can't do the things you used to do. <laughs> I heard one amen. This is a real like reality moment for some of us, I'm afraid. This season in your life, I will title the season of impact. This is a season of impact, 50 to 65, the season of impact. You, as 50 to 65-year-olds, have the ability to make a huge impact during this 15-year span. These are the years when you can honestly pray, may your kingdom come, and you can work towards that effort, and huge kingdom things can happen. Or, you can begin to look forward to retirement. Okay? We have in our minds this idea, it's been built into us culturally, that there's a time when we just get to see you later and be done. We call it retirement. It's this grand scheme in our minds that thinks that we just kind of, we've put in our time. You know, we've put in, I've put in my time. Now's my time to kick back and put my feet up. Oh boy. What a waste. What a waste in this season to be focused on that. To let it coast towards the finish. That is not how I want to live. And I hope it's not how you want to live either. I hope that in this time, 
you're seeing new things that you've, you, you know now I can be used by the Lord to accomplish this thing. What a waste it would be to kick back and coast to that day when you get to kick your feet up. Listen to what the Bible says in Job chapter 12, verse 12. Wisdom is for the aged and understanding for the old. Y'all should say amen at this point. <laughs> you got to agree with this. Wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All the 50 to 65-year-olds said, amen. okay, <laughs> you don't sound like you believe it. But it's true. And here's what we've learned. Uh, for all of those who are out there in this season of life, this is your season when you can have great impact. In this season of life, David leveraged all of his resources, all the things that he had built, his relationships, his credibility, his wisdom, his leadership, his power. In this season of life, David leveraged all of those for the kingdom of God. God had blessed him, and through David, he blessed the people and got their hearts focused on him. It was in this season of life, remember the ark had been brought back to Jerusalem. David had done that sort of as one of his very first things as king. The ark is coming back to Jerusalem, but it's been staying in a tent. And David says, we can do better than this. We can do better than a tent for the ark of the covenant. David had a conversation with the Lord about it, and now it was time to make an impact. God had promised to bless David's house. Through David, we get Jesus ultimately. But David wanted to bless the Lord. And so he begins to put things into place, organizing and preparing, leveraging all the things that he had gotten up to this point, all his resources, relationships, credibility, wisdom, all of this, to make sure that something good was going to be set up that would outlive him. He was going to put the pieces in place that would bring about the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant would stay, and where the presence of God would be. And a 20-year-old couldn't have leveraged all that. There was nothing to leverage. But David in this season, in the credibility, resources, wisdom, understanding that he had earned through the years, he was able to leverage it to put the pieces in place so that something would outlive him. And this is a season in life when you can make sure that you are leveraging what God has taught you what he's given to you, what he's provided you with, the wisdom and understanding that you have, you can leverage it for the kingdom of God to accomplish some powerful things. This is the group I feel like that really gets things done. I've observed it in my time as pastor through the years. These are people who are committed to being sure that the things happen in the church that need to happen. I love it when there's some young people who jump into those roles as well, and I've seen that. But primarily, the people who make it happen, it's because you have something to leverage here. You know there's a stake in this that you're a part of. Let's leverage it for the glory of God. If you are 50 to 65, would you stand up? You're still young enough to stand up. You can do it. <laughs> Very good. And would you look around the room and whoever's closest to you, would you just extend a hand out and bless and pray for these folks? Lord, these are the years of great impact. And my prayer for this group in this season is that we will pray, God, we want your kingdom to come. And we want your will to be done. And therefore, we will leverage all of the experiences and credibility and wisdom that you have given to us to make your kingdom, the kingdom of God, real and present here among us in this lifetime. God, the kingdom of God is not something that we need to just kind of hope that one day we'll see in glory. We can pray that prayer, your kingdom come. It's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and we can get a taste of it now. And so God, I pray for these men and women who have gathered influence and wisdom and credibility 
God, I pray that they would leverage that wisely for the kingdom of God here at Brown's Chapel. And Lord, it's in your name that I pray these things over them. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. 65 and above. Hi. How are you doing? How are you doing good? Are we feeling good? This is a valuable season of life. This is a valuable season of life. This is the season of investing. This is the season of investing. This is a sage or a mentor season. You've got great wisdom that should also translate to great influence. Look back on your life. And don't, don't everybody else tune me out. Let's just all of us look back on our life, okay? Look back on your life. Who has made the greatest impact on your life? It was probably somebody who is older than you wasn't it? Who mentored you, who equipped you, who invested in you. Why? Because someone who is older knows things that someone who is younger does not know. And someone who is older has the resources to invest in the life of somebody who doesn't yet. Somebody who is older has the time to invest in somebody who is younger. But the weakness that you can fall into, the trap that you can fall into is saying, well, my strength is fading. My networks are passing away. I'm watching as the things that I used to be able to leverage are no longer there anymore. But God has called you not to give up, but to invest an incredible treasure of your life into somebody else. Your life should outlive you. Your life should be given to the life of somebody else so that it lives on beyond your years. And here is a truth. Every funeral I've ever been to, every funeral I've ever participated in, this is true. A life is always measured by what is given away. A life is always measured by what is given away. And yes, we're talking about financial things here, but we're also talking in a huge way about wisdom and, and passion and encouragement. And <laughs> that is a huge gift in the life of somebody else. And when you are gone to glory, here, people will look back and measure how much you invested into them. It's the tangible thing. You have insight, you have life lessons, and you have so much more. David had a mentor in his life, old man Samuel. And David, as he entered this season of life, became a mentor to his son. He passed it on to the next generation. David wasn't ever going to accomplish the temple himself. He staged and put the pieces into places, but he mentored his son Solomon. I might have said Samuel at some point. He mentored his son Solomon. And you can mentor and bring great things about. It didn't end there, though. He also invested financially. He gave money to this project that God had put on his heart. He gave a fortune. Do you know who the most generous person in the Bible was? Okay, yeah, true. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Alice. Jesus is the right answer. That's the right answer. Okay, let me rephrase the question. Outside of Jesus, do you know who the most generous person in the Bible was? <laughs> huh? It's a, it's a trick question. It's not David, it's the widow. She gave everything that she had. But David, David gave a fortune towards investing in this dream. If you have your Bible, or if you would grab one in front of you off the pew, Open up to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm not going to make you all read this one along with me because it's got a lot of numbers and weird names in it. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we read about the gift, the investment that David in this season of his life made. Beginning with verse 1, we read, Then King David turned to the entire assembly and he said, My son Solomon, who God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, it is for the Lord God himself. 
Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for the overlaying in the walls of the building and for uh, the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? He gave wisdom. He gave insight to his son. We see it in Solomon's writing. When Solomon is writing, my son listened to a father's instruction. He's talking about his dad. He also gave his finances, but here's what I love. He inspired other people. And one of the great gifts that in this season that you can do is, is invest in someone else and bring an inspiration to someone else to say, oh my goodness, this life I live is not my own. It's not about me. It's about the people who come after me. And it's about the King of glory who watches over me. So he gives this challenge to the people. Who will follow my example? Then the family leaders, verse 6, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army, the king's administrators, officers, they all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord and King David was filled with joy. He leads by example. And so David believed and trusted in the next generation that they could do something that he wasn't going to be able to do. And so now here's my question that I want to ask you. Do you want to be, those of you who are 65 and older, do you want to be known as the greatest generation or do you want the generation to be behind you to be known as the greatest generation? We all want to be known as the greatest generation, don't we? We have a huge one to live up to. Because David, his generation, it wasn't the greatest generation. Solomon's was the greatest generation in the nation's history. And the reason is because he stood on David's shoulders. David had used himself to, to all, the, all his resources to make an impact that would elevate Solomon beyond himself. He invested so powerfully into the next generation. And rather than saying, I hope I'm remembered as the greatest generation, what if the thing changed to say, I hope that I can be such an influence and an investor in the generation's after me, that they are the greatest generation. What if that was the phrase that we said? They all stood on David's shoulders, and my question to you is, what do you want to give to the next generation? Because if you're willing to say, I want the next generation to be known as the greats, then you're going to take everything that God has given to you, and you're going to leverage that, and you're going to pass it along so that the people learn the lessons that you have learned, so that even when nobody wants to listen... <laughs> You don't say, this generation's going to hell in a handbasket. You say, I see the potential there, and I want to invest to make sure that it's great. Pass on a sense of optimism and excitement, believing that things will continue to get better. We have such a mode of getting caught up in, oh, things are worse now than they've ever been before. That's not true. That's not true. Things have always been bad. From the moment that Eve bit that apple in the garden, things were bad. Her sons were murdering one another. Things have always been bad. The reason you think things are getting worse is because the time for a story to get to you about how bad something was a couple thousand miles away is like that now, and it feels instant to you. It feels like it's right here. The earth has shrunk in that regard. And so you think things are worse than they ever have been. Things have always been terrible. Read your Old Testament, okay? Things have been bad. 
<clears throat> but what if your optimism to say, I think this next generation is going to be incredible. I tell you what, people will line up to be mentored by you. People will line up to be invested in by you if you're that kind of person. They will. They'll come out of the woodwork to listen to your heart. My dad, I remember him saying, you know, okay, so here's the, here's the cool thing about my dad. Alcoholics home, literally, I think I've told this story before, brought by a neighbor to church, picked up him and his sister. His mom died when he was seven. Just a rough situation. Comes to know the Lord. I mean, what a great story. Serves the Lord faithfully after all this. And everything in the story should set up for it just being a disaster. But God just redeems in this awesome, awesome way. Okay? I remember my dad telling me, he'd sit me and my two brothers down, and he'd tell me, boys, you all are going to run circles around your dad. What he was saying was, I think you're going to do things that I was never able to do. I want to make sure that you're equipped to be able to do things that I was never able to do. What an incredible thing, an attitude to have. How I appreciate looking back on that story of my dad telling me that. Believing that God was going to do something greater for me and for my brother Josh and for my brother Ben than he could do for my dad. Oh boy, that warms my heart. It warms my heart because he invested in me and believed in me. If you're 65 or older, as hard as it may be, would you stand up, please? <laughs> I'm teasing you. <laughs> I hope you know that, okay? <laughs> I'm teasing you. And I want to pray a blessing over you that is not teasing, but that is a blessing. Would you, the rest of you, just extend your hands out towards whomever is closest to you and let us pray for our brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you for this generation. They know great things and they can teach us and guide us and, and, and mentor us. And God, I pray that you would give all of the treasure of your love and your grace to them. Thank you for the way that you have blessed them. And God, we know that our lives will be measured not by what we take with us, but by what we give away. God, I pray that you would inspire these men and women to say, we want to find opportunities to invest in the young people. We want to find opportunities to invest in our children and our grandchildren. We want to find opportunities to, to pour into uh, into the things that you, O oh Lord, are passionate about so that your kingdom can come and your will be done. God, we don't want to be a people who just fade off into the night, but we want people to be people who are looked at as great gift givers. God, would you do that through the wisdom, the collective wisdom, the understanding, the lessons that have been learned. God, I pray that you would build a spirit of encouragement in our hearts to say, this next generation is not going to hell in a handbasket if I have anything to say about it. I have great optimism for what they're going to do. God, use these men and women for your kingdom, and it's in your name that we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Now here's how I'll close. We want to be a church, I hope, who is a partnership of generations. A partnership of generations. Okay? What makes me afraid is when a church silos its ministry so that the 50-year-olds never see the kids and where the youth never run into the 30-year-olds where it's all so segmented that there's never an overlap. Because when we can be a church that is a partnership of generations, good things happen. We can build a foundation. The young people can learn from the third and fourth group. The third and fourth group can invest back in their children and in others' children. I think I've told you this before, but do you know the top two things that keep a young person connected to the church? Number one is that faith is real at home. 
that it's not just a Sunday thing, but it happens at home, that's number one. That seems obvious. Number two is that there are five other adults who invest in a child's life as if that child were their child. Five other adults in a church, which means as many young people as we see here in this group today, that means it takes all of us to invest in one another to see that next generation stick as they grow into adults. You can make an impact, an influence, and it can all go every different direction. The young people, their enthusiasm can be something that ignites a fire in those of us who are older, something that inspires us to see things with new, fresh eyes like we used to, that breaks away the scales and that jadedness that can build up in life. When we can be a partnership of generations, then we can be blessed as a people. We're never too old to be used by God. We're never too young to be used by God. The Bible, like if we could continue this story of the generations, years later, there's a six-year-old king who's able to get the nation of Israel who had turned from the Lord, reoriented on the heart of God, a six-year-old. You are never too old. You are never too young to be used by God. Let us partner with one another and spur one another on and invest in one another and push one another so that we can be refined as something of value. I want to invite our worship team to come. As they do, I just want to pray a blessing for you before we sing our closing song. God, for all of us who are here today, it takes intentionality. It takes intentionality from young people and it takes intentionality from seasoned people to say, if this is what we want to do, then we have to really put effort behind it. It's easy culturally to coast and fall into some ruts. We can get to some places where we think that, hey, you know, as young people, we can, we can live into our 20s, our late 20s, and we're still just kids. We're still boys and girls and adult bodies, and we can do whatever we want to, whatever it is. We can be older and say, you know, retirement's right around the corner. I've put in my time. I can be done now. We can be people who look and say, oh, this generation that's coming up next, they don't know what they're doing, and boy, oh boy, it's just going to be rough. Or we can be people who say, hey, I have great optimism for what's coming next. God, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of people who invest in one another, God, I pray that our young people would invest in our old people. I pray that the old people would invest in the young people. I pray for all us middle people that we'd figure out what we're doing as we uh, seek to learn from the old people and invest in the young people. And God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's going to take effort and intention. So go with us and spur us. Keep this at the front of our minds. And it's in your name I ask it. Amen.